This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 57. Uh, with me uh, in Sweden, Johan Edebo. Hi, Johan. Good evening. Uh, in Long Island, New York, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. I was yeah. muted. Sorry. That was that dead air. That was that dead air. <laughs> and in Toronto, in um, under house arrest in Toronto, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hey. Um, so it's a while, almost three weeks, I guess, um, between podcasts, Christmas, New Year's interceded. Um, <clears throat> and, and, and that's always disruptive and, and um, <laughs> traumatizing in, in different ways. But, uh, uh, but a lot of things, of course, have happened in terms of, um, in terms of COVID, the narrative, uh and and people's response to it um in in protests across europe massive protests uh in the netherlands uh in germany austria uh protests a lot of places it's hard to keep up and of course the mainstream media buries these stories uh and apropos of that uh, there was the other day, uh, Robert Malone, one of the kind of dissident doctors, uh, regarding COVID, a guy who I guess, depending on who you read, was one of the inventors of, of, um, the vaccine or vaccines like that or the process or something and, uh, he appeared on Joe Rogan. So this means massive exposure. I mean, Rogan has, you know, a colossal audience. And it's interesting to think exactly who that audience is uh, by gender, class, age. Um, and I didn't look it up. I could guess. Uh, and Rogan is a not uninteresting figure in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, he's, he's acutely reactionary. I, I think he called Che Guevara a terrorist or something. Um, you know, which accounts for his popularity in certain respects. Uh, he seems to be a guy that instinctively uh, reinforces popular uh, popular takes, popular memes, popular interpretations of, of history and so forth. <clears throat> but he had Malone on. And so the implications for that are probably, um, are, are probably pretty significant. And then Zero Hedge itself, a kind of paleoconservative organ. Mm. Uh, but like Joe Rogan, not uninteresting and that's going to be a separate topic we're going to we're going to talk about that george jackson quote that i shared and then hero yuki reshared and which i think is very important and and we're going to talk about limited hangouts and and but also the failure of the left the the purity problem with a lot of the left and 
and exactly what to do with um, with figures like Malone and also Robert Kennedy Jr., you know, who comes from a political dynasty in the U.S., um, but has been, uh, you know, has done massively important uh, work on, you know, Fauci and and vaccines and and everything else, and has been pilloried for this. I mean, been crucified in the press, alienated the class to which he comes from, um, at least on this topic. Mm-hmm. And so these are these are, I think, the things I would like to begin with, at least. So, uh, anybody want to want to start, or I can keep babbling. You know, <laughs> uh, it's up to you. Yeah, well, Rogan, I think, is the largest thing on YouTube, or at least he was a couple of years back. So, so it's hugely significant that something like Malone is being represented in these kinds of channels, however you, you look at it. So, so this is going to be significant and it's going to have to be spun by the, the, the mainstream media and so on. So, so I mean, it's, it's important, I think, to... to to examine this and to reflect upon how it will be, well, let's say, interpreted down the line, the <clears throat> narrative. Yeah, and and the Zero Hedge article, just as a comment on that, what you just said, the perspective of, I guess it was Tyler Durden, the, the alias nom de plume of um, the Zero Hedge guy, uh, uh, his take was that this marked the beginning of a, of a significant pivot in public discourse on COVID, mm-hmm. that, that the mainstream was going to cop to having made mistakes mm-hmm. uh, and, and backpedal a whole bunch of things and throw a few people under the bus, probably Fauci to begin with. I mean, he was born to be thrown under the bus after <laughs> all. And, and, uh and but but it was unclear where he thought that ended and and what the implications of of Mm. this pivot would be and i don't know if i accept that anyway and then there's a lot of people who as soon as i mean it wouldn't matter if um you know karl marx decided to appear on joe rogan there would be a certain number of the left um, <clears throat> excuse me. That would that would attack Marx for doing that and say that Karl Marx is part of a limited hangout, you know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and and but I understand this on one hand. I'm not unsympathetic, but it but it's a it's a problematic it's a problematic issue. But anyway, uh, at the so the question is in in any sense, was this a limited hangout? And what do we mean by that? And and is Tyler Durden right? And so forth. Uh, Johan? Yeah, just, just to add on, I mean, uh, there was also a, a, a piece by the editors behind the Wall Street Journal that was kind of heavily critical of the, they, they even said that the the official responses was a, were a result of propaganda. They implicated Fauci. 
and, and all of this. So, I mean, and, and it doesn't get posted on the Wall Street Journal like that for, by accident. So, so, I mean, there is a kind of pivot being taking place here. If you want to look at, at it structurally or as an intentional hangout or whatever, but something is going on. However, yeah, no, I, I remember, I mean, the Wall Street Journal is the voice of Western capital, and, mm. and it's, a, it's very significant if something appears in there. I remember when when they ran an editorial, I wrote a piece about this, in fact, that I think appeared in Counterpunch back when I wrote for them, uh, about when they turned on Hillary Clinton. Mm. And and you knew that this what meant, you know, Clinton's days were numbered. Um, and, and so it turned out to be. Uh, yeah, I, I, I should note that here in Norway, there was an incredibly popular and widely shared article, a really excellent article by, um, I think it's Paul Henrik Hoggins, who's uh, a philosopher. And um, unfortunately, it's behind a paywall and it's in Norwegian anyway. Uh, but I may, I may provide the link. It was really excellent. And it criticized a scathing criticism of the Norwegian governments and Norwegian media demonizing um, the unvaccinated and supporting this idea of coercive vaccination. It was a really pretty brilliant piece. But then two or three days later, a woman who uh, from the Red Party uh, wrote something not dissimilar and said, at this point, you know, the, the question of vaccine um, efficiency and efficacy and uh, is has to be raised. I mean, we have theoretically, wow. they claim 90% of the Norwegian population vaccinated. It hasn't done anything in terms of new cases, whatever cases mean, a positive test result from an unreliable test. Um, and it's Omicron, which is, you know, a mild cold. Uh, anyway, that article was widely shared. And then there was a, a third piece in, in Affenposten, or one of the big papers here, uh, also extraordinarily critical of uh, the way the media had been of one voice and marginalized dissent and that there was no public discussion and so forth and so forth and so forth. These were three big widely read articles um, in Norway and nothing of this kind had appeared for the last 20 months. So, um, the the evidence for a pivot um, may in fact be be kind of substantial. I'm not mm. sure. Mm. Uh, anyway, okay, uh, Corey. Oh, hey, <laughs> where to begin? So I I spent my Christmas with let me see family member one sick the whole time in my tiny home. So I spent I it's still like coughing. Um, so that was fun. And then um, one of my daughters um, had to go take a test to appease her boyfriend's grandmother because he lives with his grandma. So she had to go get a test when she was sick um, with a cold. And that turned out to be COVID positive for what the tests are worth. And so then um, she was asked to go stay somewhere not to be in the house. And so anyway, I, I spent the Christmas with obviously with her as well as the rest of my family, one of my 
children was not there because he did not want to test at work for COVID. And so it just created, it was just actually crazy. Um, so let me see, last week I got maybe a scratchy throat for a couple of days. That was it. And um, yeah, so it's just been a little bit crazy. A lot of people sick and then the, um, and then um, the, the person who's been sick the longest, that person ended up his, his partner at work, actually tested also positive for COVID. No one called and told him. It's just crazy. And it just um, a lot of cold going around. Um, some people don't seem to care. I mean, I've been invited actually to a lot of different things. People don't seem to care you know, who I've been around in, in that sort of thing. But um, I was looking at the Canadian website today, even though the case, you know, Omicron is a mild cold. Um, it's, you know, now we're in a brand new lockdown that was announced yesterday that begins tomorrow. Um, so again, no, no gyms, no nothing. Um, it's just fucking crazy. And you know, I'm just sort of sick with it. Like I'm so worried about my kids and how, you know, yeah. how they will handle this, especially um, my two girls who have really struggled in different ways through this. And I just feel like I can't even breathe. I've sort of accepted, you know, okay, I can't go anywhere anymore. I can't do anything anymore. And all of that. And I just sort of have accepted all that. But now I just mostly worry about their mental well-being, right? And whether they'll, you know, be able to make it through this, you know, yeah. um, it, it's really taking a toll. I think anybody who's a parent um, right now thinks that way. I'm terrified for my kids. I think what is their future going to look like? I don't know, you know, <clears throat> not, it's not going to, to look much like, like my um my youth or teenage years i'm pretty certain of that um so yeah it's this is this is this is the significant question um i i <clears throat> wanted to just add because it always amuses me could be lest anybody listening to this not know what a limited hangout is um, it comes from the Nixon tapes, conversation Nixon had with Dean and Haldeman. So I'll just read it to you. Nixon said, you think, you think we want to want to go this route now and, you know, let it hang out, so to speak? Dean, well, it isn't really that Haldeman. It's a limited hangout. Dean, it's a limited hangout. Ehrlichman, it's a modified limited hangout. <laughs> And well, it's the only, it's the questions of this thing hanging out publicly or privately. Okay, end of, end of quote. Nixon was so, such a great source of like theatrical, <laughs> he was so kind of Shakespearean. Um, anyway, that's what a limited hangout is. You tell part of the truth to distract people from investigating um, the deeper, the deeper truths. Yeah, Corey. Oh, I just want to say, yeah, sorry, I didn't really respond to that and jump in on that. That's probably what you wanted me to talk about. No, I, I no. didn't watch. I didn't watch that. Joe Rig. Um, what's his name? Whatever. I don't even know what his name is. <laughs> Joe, Joe Rogan. 
Joe Rogan. Um, yeah, I've never watched him before. I didn't watch that interview. But of course, you know, when you think of all the lies that happen, eventually the lies get too big to sort of contain, right? And then you mm. get a lot of, and then you get to a point where media's mainstream media is sort of forced to, um, you know, start talking about it somewhat. And you, you see that with everything with Syria, with Libya, with the war on Iraq. I mean, eventually it gets too big, right, to um, contain. So, right. <clears throat> well, this is, this is where, I mean, that's absolutely true. And I think we all kind of predicted this was coming at a certain point because the COVID narrative was unraveling at, at it was at the unraveling was accelerating uh, <clears throat> right before the holidays. And so it, it makes sense that, that, that this would happen now. Um, I, I, yeah, I didn't, I watched Joe Rogan once, I think, or 10 minutes. I can't watch that kind of stuff for more than about 10 minutes uh you know and it's it's exactly you don't need to watch him it's exactly what you would expect uh but but the malone thing i watched probably half of and then it just was so extraordinarily boring in a certain way but um there's a kind of charisma vacuum um happening with malone but anyway uh but what he said was really interesting and it was really good that it got said do I think that's a limited hangout? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I know, Corey, you suggested it's just it's just Malone positioning himself as as the, a leading voice of, of the opposition from the right to this whole thing. Yeah, maybe. You know, I don't know. I don't know the, the mechanisms by which um, guests are picked to be on Joe Rogan who's the most popular show in the world, you know, um, it seems. And so I don't know. I don't know. Hiroyuki. I, I think it's, it's sort of important to uh, recognize that the uh, when uh, things are coming out and uh, 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 things can't be contained anymore, um, uh, people, you know, uh, have to talk about it and uh, establishment is going to allow. But at the same time, uh, it is a necessity of the establishment to sort of make sure that everything they talk about are contained within yeah. the uh, capitalist framework so that they, they have to own it, own the terms, own the ideas, own the thoughts, um, everything, policies, they have to be within their scope so that the uh, uh, when people talk about uh, certain things, it's not going to be like, okay, we're going to have a revolution, socialist revolution, something like that. So um, I think it's important that the, uh, this, is, uh, this is bound to happen and uh, it is a necessity for them to uh, kind of steer the conversation, sort of bring the uh, pros and cons um, uh, on the theater so that people are going to be talking about it. People are going to be talking about it. And uh, things that are talked about are acceptable things. And the resulting things, policies, are going to be within the scope. Like, you know, when we experienced uh, war on terror, 
um, there are things, I mean, we can talk about war, we can talk about anti-war even, but mostly what the media would talk about is that the way things are carried out, this is allowed. You can bomb certain things, but you can't do this. But the basic narratives are there and protected. So um, I think that's that's what's going on. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's right. And, and you know, the the idea of limited hangout is is I mean, it, it, it doesn't even have to be a conscious, yeah. you know, process. I mean, this is just the system operate, you know, the cunning of unreason or something. I mean, it, it's 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 what happens. And um and the Joe Rogans of uh, of the world of history are are there as as these you know release valves to, yeah. to you know, depressurize uh, different situations. Anyway, um, Johan, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's very important what you're now saying, both of you, because on some level, I think it's not really important whether this is kind of an intentional strategy or just just what I would call emergent institutional behavior. Because the effect will be the same, uh, as you say here, you, it's it's bound to happen in some way, because the the lie gets too big, and the apparatus of discourse and spectacle will then, then act to contain it, because it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And in this situation, I think a significant temptation for for us dissidents is to count this as some kind of win and just retire, because it's such a great relief that at least something of this we've been saying for for years now gets acknowledged in public that you're happy to just accept whatever whatever crumbs you get from the table right well you know it's really interesting because i've been working on a on a new blog post and one of the people i was rereading was mcluhan um from from his very first book and that's 1964 uh understanding media and it was it was interesting because in a sense that what he said then is exactly what you're saying right now in a sense mm. it's it's you know the the joe rogan it doesn't it doesn't matter terribly much exactly what malone says you know i mean yeah. it, because this is just this is just the messages that he's on joe rogan mm. i mean yeah none of us have to actually listen to it because we kind of pretty much know and you know things things are the medium is the message, right? Yeah, he's and, a symbol. And and so that's 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 the story. What I don't fully understand, and people can please help me, is um, Canada's completely locked down. Uh, New Zealand, Australia, I think, are still severely restricted. Uh, in Australia, they move people to camps. Uh, uh, Aboriginal community, mostly, if not entirely. So there's a lot of places, you know, that are not locked down like that. Norway's not locked down at all, but I mean, lots of places are not. There are some restrictions now reintroduced um, in Great Britain, on and on and on, Ireland. Um, other places, far less. Uh, so that's a question. How how and why is there this discontinuity? Mm. Um, and, and secondly, the whole question of vaccine death, 
vaccine side effects. Um, again, another example of like extraordinarily complicated um, uh, uh, contradictory evidence, contradictory statistics, completely confusing. Nobody has definitive um, numbers for anything, which is partly understandable, but, but that it is so obfuscated and so um, unclear how to even begin to talk about this topic. But, but, you know, 40 some athletes, young athletes have had heart attacks and died on the field. That's undeniable. And that is a hugely significant number. Uh, and we've seen a very almost non-response from mainstream media. That's significant. Uh, but, but again, I don't know at this point anymore how to talk about any of these things um, because uh, you know, in Norway, they claim 90% of the people are vaccinated. They introduce some restrictions, you know, everything's color coded, orange alert, yellow alert, whatever. And, and lots of businesses closed things like, you know, my local chess club closed. Um, presumably this is for the Omicron variant, even though nobody has died from it here or even come close to dying. Uh, uh, it seems even from their perspective, incoherent policy. I don't understand it. So these are just topics I'm sort of floating out there. I don't, I, you know, Africa remains 6% as a continent, 6% vaccinated with almost no um, COVID. But now we're hearing this stuff that essentially the vaccines are destroying down the road, long-term effects that the, the um, will, it will, be expressed as a, a compromised um, immunity to all kinds of other things and and renal kidney failures and problems and so forth. Um, but again, you know, uh, this is such a massive story and and global that the contradictions um, the contradictions are are just massive. Um, Corey. Um, yeah, I would say that Canada and Australia are being studied, right? Like we're basically prototypes on um, pilot projects here mm -hmm. on the, um, you know, how to just basically observing a domesticated populace and what you can get away with, like how far you can push people. Um, for an example, on the government website under um, ICU beds, um, what is this weekending? Um, I know it's the last as of December 30th, 2021, um, the ICU beds have increased in Canada from 160 to 181 beds. So we've, and, <laughs> and we have, you know, now we have this new, you know, new lockdown for at least, so, I know, I think it's three weeks. Um, anyway, when I started tracking the adverse vaccine um, events for Canada, um, earlier this year, and I know I've read them out on the on the podcast a few times. In mm. August, I I started. I don't know if I started here, but for, as an example, August weekending, August thirteenth, the adverse reactions that are actually um, filed, right? And we all know that rarely happens because it's a lot of time and energy to um, file these reports. But at that time, there was twelve thousand six hundred and eighty um, adverse reactions filed. In August, um, October 1st, that number went up to 
17,982. And I could see really quickly soon that that was going to um, outnumber the actual COVID deaths in Canada since the beginning, which are now around 30,000 for a population of, um, what is Canada, 38 million people. Um, so anyway, October 1st, just a few weeks ago, right? A couple months ago, um, ages 12 to 17, we had 451 adverse reactions and um, for 18 to 29, um, 1,913 adverse reactions. If you jump forward to um, December 17th, now we're at over 30,000 adverse reactions. Five to 11-year-olds, they started um, adding a couple weeks ago. The first week was 32. And now the last week, we're up to 60. That's doubled. And um, 12 to 17-year-old, over 1,000. I mean, if you look at that age, if you look at how many people actually <sighs> died, not from COVID, but with COVID in that age bracket, it's, I mean, the first five, five to 11, I mean, it's hardly it doesn't even register, right? It's so low, these numbers. So yeah, these just, um, you know, this just continues no matter what. I mean, you would think people would just go ballistic at this point over what's happening, over a cold, right? Omicron is a cold. Um, even the symptoms, you know, runny nose, headache, and fatigue are the commonest symptoms of Omicron, right? And look what's happening. And there's just heart I mean, basically nothing, no pushback at all. I, I mean, not even any grumbling. This right now, um, virtual education, again, another push for that, right? Shock and awe. Um, Microsoft is at the helm of that with Facebook, um, World Bank, everybody else. This is a whole push. It's a whole push, you know, into the digital, into a new digital economy. And so that's where all this is going. And while it's all happening, we're all fucking crazy about a cold right and all this stuff is happening you know trillions of dollars being put into carbon capture storage um all the wealth transfer to the top um by bio biotech crispr genetic engineering um all you know um it, it the list is just massive i don't even know where to begin there's so much stuff going on and it's not even being talked about you know the opioid crisis fentanyl um, loneliness, isolation, mental illness, I mean, the list, suicide, um, you know, again, the transfer of wealth, the, the job loss, the automation, it just goes on and on and on. And we're not talking about any of it. We're not pushing back against any of it, right? Our kids are being thrown to the wolves, right? They're experimental subjects, the biggest uh, ex social experiment physical experiment in the history of the world, right? Just, yeah, it's just insane. And I don't really know how to talk about it any long anymore either, you know, I'm at a loss. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no, there's no, um, there has been no, no um, uh, mainstream media coverage of any of this stuff. We see occasional articles. You shared one, Corey, about deaths in Indiana. A doctor was making, you yeah. know, talking about inconsistencies. Um, all kinds of um, things appear, stories appear that, that point to these inconsistencies and contradictions in excess death and excess mortality. Um, 
stuff that you would in fact expect to be happening a couple of years down the road from from the breakout of this pandemic and i agree that that uh canada and and uh australia and probably new zealand are are the the test cases here the trial balloons to see to see what's going to happen um and the question always comes up about because we see huge protests I see in Norway enormous skepticism now that I didn't see six months ago. Huge shift. We see these articles coming out. I see much less of a change in the U.S. It seems like the lines are drawn. It's the Trump factor again. You know, um, people have a very hard time stepping outside of the Republican Democrat paradigm, which you know reinforces what Hiroyuki said a little while ago. Um, you know, things are kept within a very tight frame in the US and a binary kind of picture is painted and that's what people follow. And it's interesting because I was watching over the holidays um, to kind of escape uh, the last season of The Good Fight, which is sort of self-consciously liberal show made by, you know, loyal followers of the Democratic Party. It's very, very liberal, anti-Trump, and it's a kind it's about a law firm, but it's overtly political. Anyway, this is this is like June, July 2021. Um, and there was an episode specifically about a hospital handling COVID in New York City. And there was a trial and the guy testified and said, well, you have to understand there were bodies piling up in the hallways. Mm -hmm. We didn't have rooms. People were the workers, the health professionals were working to exhaustion and collapsing. And there wasn't an, there weren't enough ventilators and they were on and on and on and on. And this is this is married to images of what's being described, you know, <clears throat> dramatic recreations by Hollywood of uh, an overburdened hospital, uh, an overburdened healthcare system because of, you know, the plague had hit. Um, the zombie apocalypse was being portrayed. And we know none of that happened. Mm. There were no hospitals overrun with bodies piling up for fuck's sake. Mm. But this is what gets produced in Hollywood. This is a very expensive show targeting an educated elite white audience although it has a, a this is about a black law firm so it's kind of a buppy audience as well mm. um and and uh and it's an expensive primetime show uh with name actors with name guest stars and yet that was the level of propaganda on display so it's extraordinary you know um the way the media functions mm. uh johan yeah, and, and as Corey said, this is really going crazy over a cold. Because aside from uh, aside from this turn in the in this uh, change in the in the media narrative, in in, in some sense, I mean, I, I open up the the main newspaper here, and, and as as I and my friends in in the medical network here in Sweden have tried to to emphasize, we have no real deaths now. There is no there is no ICU occupancy in any meaningful sense and so on. But if you look at the headlines on the top, you have something like what you just described, John, that 
patients are are placed in offices of the hospitals the the covid infection is is uh, rampant in stockholm heavy there there's no space in the hospitals the king and the queen have been infected by covid-19 major corporations <laughs> are uh, setting up to to face the new wave of virus and and something from joe biden infections increasing even in the white house uh, World Soccer Cup in France is cancelled, and so on. And then there's a, a, a some some Danish soccer player thanking people for for support after his uh, his heart attack. It's it's astonishing, you know. Yeah, no, I mean the 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 media in Norway is for the for the most part the 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 pivot and the appearance of dissident articles notwithstanding. Um, the headlines are always 136 new cases of yeah. corona in Bergen, 147 cases of corona in Frumsa. Uh, Oslo decides to go on, you know, semi-lockdown schools will be closed for one week. And there's, there's nothing, you know, it's Omicron, you know. Yeah, look at the numbers. Man. And, and, and the other thing is this compulsive testing. Um, because over Christmas there was somebody who was somebody's boyfriend or something that was going to be at a Christmas party in in rural Norway, uh, where I spent Christmas and, and it was, um, uh, a girlfriend of somebody. And, you know, it was like, uh, some people responded with complete indifference. It didn't matter. Let's go to the party. Other people were kind of terrified and, and, and decided not to go. Um, the same thing, the, the, World Blitz and Speed Chess Championship, uh, Hikaru Nakamura, American player, Japanese American, a great blitz player, uh, had to withdraw because he tested positive, but it was his second test. Oh, I showed up the first day, he says, and I had kind of a runny nose. And I, you know, you can see me coughing once or twice on the, you know, at the chess table in the first day uh, uh, of play. And then I felt a little bit worse, so I took another test. How many tests do you have to take? I mean, what is what is this now? I mean, you don't feel good. Go home. Get in bed. What? It, it, the testing thing is so fetishized now. Yeah. It's it has to be sexual on some level. Um, Corey. Yeah, just on that, the whole testing thing in um, Ontario has been insane over the whole holiday to the point where people were lined up for hours on the street to get tested. I wow. mean, if you're well enough to stand on this on the street <laughs> freezing cold for hours, why do you even need to know if you're <laughs> if you're in, and don't you know if you have a cold or not? Why do you need a test for it? And to the point, the government had to say. Um, it's and they've changed. I'm not sure when they changed this on the Quebec website. They had to tell people if you're not symptomatic, don't take a PCR test. You don't need to. If you have no symptoms, don't take a test. So we've gone from the people being um, healthy people being the super spreaders to now being told if you don't have symptoms, don't take the test at all. And now actually Quebec and other provinces are following letting people who test positive come back to work. Um, if their symptoms are mild, because there's no workforce. And yeah. so we'll get this, people can come back to work if you tested, even if you've tested positive, if your um, symptoms are mild, and yet now we're locked down again, but you can go back to work. 
Or right. if you test positive and the next day you test negative, go back to work, whatever. They need people back to work, right? Because so many people, they've lost so many people, people that will not get jobbed, people that now are testing for no reason and their tests come out positive. So now they're, you know, can't go anywhere, can't do anything. I mean, the whole thing's just, um, none of it makes any sense. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't have to make sense. Every, everyone <laughs> is just going ahead anyway, right? Everything's- Yeah, yeah. And everybody's vaccinated. Yeah. You know? They've yeah, achieved but... all their goals for vaccination. If so, yeah. if you're vaccinated, why are you? I mean, it just, it's so incoherent, the whole thing. Yeah. Johan. Yeah, it really lacks coherence. I was just going to mention that in Sweden, there was an article about how you won't get a test result for, for almost a week because they're, they're so, uh, the capacity is so, I mean, they can't deal with the, the massive amounts of testing being done. And they we, we test more people now than we did like a, a year and a half ago because I have no idea. And that's going to drive cases. Of course, you're going to have a lot of cases if you test everyone twice. Right. Yeah, right. And the garbage, the garbage this is creating, right? Like we're yeah. creating, I, I mean, <laughs> it's insane that a couple years ago we were talking about banning plastic bags. <laughs> yeah. And, and now look, we're we're gonna fucking smother under our own garbage. <laughs> yeah, the end of Earth may be, you know, <clears throat> suffocating beneath single-use plastic cloth masks. Uh, because they're everywhere. And, and these testing uh, kits. And testing kits, yeah. 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 Um, no, it, it, this is this is the part that we've I think as a people entered a, a kind of new phase of, um, of, of the cultic aspect of, of this, this whole, you know, social experiment or whatever it is, uh, the, the, there's massive skepticism, massive protests everywhere. And that has to be underscored. It, it, it's really large. I don't know how large. Um, relative to the people who are true believers. Um, there's a lot of people on the left, the kind of far left, who, um, who bristle at the mention of this, you know, mass psychosis mem and the fact that, you know, people are in a trance state. I don't know why. It's pretty obvious that there is a significant um, proportion, percentage of uh, the populace that is... They're the people we're speaking about right now who are, are hypnotized in some way. I, I have no explanation for it. Um, I remember once I used to tell this story. I had a, I was, <laughs> I was dating an actress. It was a really long time ago. And she said, no, you won't, you're not going to like me. You shouldn't get involved with me because I'm going to drive you crazy. I said, no, 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 Just because I can, like, I can't even tell when I'm sick. I don't know when I'm not feeling well. I can never decide. And I used to tell that joke, like, and that's not a joke, that, that anecdote as a joke, because I thought, you know, this was like the punchline to going out with actresses or something. Um, but that's how the whole population seems now. Um, the, the whole idea of health and unhealth and sickness mm -hmm. has shifted, has transformed somehow into, um, into something I don't understand. I don't, I I see people in their cars alone wearing masks. Uh, I got a whole bunch over New Year's 
um, sort of greeting cards, email greeting cards from businesses, um, retail, you know, um, you know, I don't know, arts and crafts places that make belts and clothes stores and tobacco dispensaries, whatever. And everybody was in a mask. It was like de rigueur, you know, I mean, you couldn't, you can't sell anything if you're a pariah. So, you know, people sent their virtual Christmas cards with little holly and Christmas bells um, around the periphery and the edges wearing a mask. Uh, it's extraordinary when you think about it. Um, Hiroyuki. I, I, well, um, yeah, it, this, this is really hard to uh, uh, discuss, but I, I think it's, um, I think it's important to um, uh, see it as what it is. Um, uh, and what it is, is basically uh, the, the situation we have is, um, um, I mean, we, we, we already have uh, this situation. We are afraid of uh, uh, the upcoming uh, digitalization of our lives and uh, uh, the whole set of uh, new exploitations. And uh, uh, I, I think the basic mechanism is already here, um, which is that um, our social structure is basically uh, running with the uh, 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 supplies provided by uh, the establishment. The, the facts are um, uh, produced by the uh, establishment and the social relations are determined by the uh, establishment and the resources are provided by the uh, establishment. So this, I mean, the, this domesticated situation is, um, um, I mean, th this is really vulnerable to the uh, top-down, um, social mobilization because our actions are not based on facts. Our um, actions are not based on our relationship. We watch things on media, we get orders from uh, institutions and our actions are based on those things. So, and this is the result of what Marx talked about it's basically the other social relations are uh, hijacked by the uh, uh, oligarchs and uh, they are rich enough to uh, create this false sense of uh, 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 material reality which is uh, um, which is not material re reality and um, so I, I think um, for the immediate uh, things we can do, um, uh, we should talk about these things. We should educate each other about, uh, just like we are doing um, um, uh, for sometimes with this uh, podcast and writings and um, uh, all those things. And also um, I, I keep wondering um, um, what would be the ways to uh, uh, develop um, um, actual social relations in mm. our communities, uh, how to relate to our neighbors, how to uh, relate to people we know and uh, basically mm. help each other uh, based on our needs. And, um, um, and eventually uh, we need to cultivate um, 
alternate um, mm. social mechanisms that are not depending on the establishment um, mechanism. And, uh, um, but this is a huge thing. And um, uh, yeah, I don't, I personally don't, don't even know where to start. And, and another thing is that we, we um, had a, a little gathering at the house recently and uh, it, it was very, very interesting because people do follow wearing masks, social distancing, whatever. When uh, when we go out, when we go to the gym, when we go to the uh, stores and um, all those things and uh, people get vaccinated too. But when we are uh, um, person to person uh, sitting together, we're just people. We don't follow any of those things. So. <laughs> um, so people know, I mean, if it's really a plague, we are not going to be hugging each other. We're not going to be right. talking right. in person. Right. So it's obvious, you know, like, you know, you, you go to the store and uh, you, you're wearing masks, but you observe and you see at the back of the store, uh, workers might be uh, talking to each other. They might not be wearing masks, and if it's a plague, they they won't be doing that. So right, right. You but know, I said that from the from the beginning, yeah. from the very beginning of this whole thing. Those first photos from Wuhan, um, and the, the first weeks of this, I said I don't sense a legitimate terror in people the way right, I remember right. the reports for, uh, from from um, about Ebola when it first appeared. Um, the flesh-eating virus superbug when it first appeared, you could, it was palpable. The fear was palpable. This was right. a terrifying, you never got that with this. This was, this was a strange thing, um, even for the true believers. Um, and I know these people are scared. There are people that are certainly scared. Yeah, there are it, people it, who are, yeah. A, but it's a different register of fear right. somehow. I don't know yeah. how to describe it. And John, oh. you were also talking about the uh, uh, the same situation with the uh, the uh, the climate change. Uh, you know, the Absolutely. people <laughs> buying houses by the water. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. No, this is look. You know, all the yeah, absolutely. And I wrote a, a piece about that. You know, people, all these the the fear mongering doomsayers. You know, well, there's not much we could. You know. The earth will end in 20 years. You're going to be underwater in 20 years. You know, we're going to be suffocating in, um, I don't know, you know, the, the holes in Siberia will open up and we're going to be a, a catastrophic um, event that will, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, you and, know what? And I, yet, I, but they're still putting money away in their 407k or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, they're, put, yeah. they're saving for their kids' college fund at the same time. Right, and that right. doesn't happen. I mean, if you really believed the earth was going to end in 20 or 30 years, what would you do? You yeah. would not, I don't think, um, you know, trade in your truck on a new one or something. I, I, you yeah, know? so I, I really think this, this whole thing is, uh, in a way, an expression of the fact mm -hmm. that we are domesticated and mm -hmm. we are running around controlled by these, um, uh, whatever the information, you know, fear this, fear that. But we know at heart there yeah. is something wrong and we do have capacity to build our own community based on that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the one thing that's happening, and then I said, uh, Johan, I want to get to you, um, is that that I'm seeing increasingly, I mean, there are forces at work, right? This this unelected billionaire class, you know, of Bezos and Gates and Monk, the giant NGO, uh, the tsunami of very wealthy, powerful NGOs, asset managers, and and you know, global health organizations, et cetera, et cetera. Um, are trying to normalize a picture of this this new feudal reality because there are mm. countless pictures of Bezos on his yacht, reaching mm. for a I'm sure you know completely organic martini, um, being served um, by a cute young waitress in a mask, and behind right. her are a dozen other masked serfs. You know, um, th- 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 versions of that of the rich at gala events unmasked and and the you know the coolies of today in their masks um, rolling out the red carpet this picture is being normalized and 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 um, and repeated and put out there over and over and over again um, so so that's one front that one is fighting on um, the, the sort of Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum Great Reset Front. Uh, and then you have the U.S. Old Guard, uh, you know, Pentagon CIA Front. The, and I haven't been able to entirely stitch together the, the way these things mm. all, all work. Uh, but it is, it, is, it is part of the problem, I think, of grasping the, the contemporary reality. Um, Johan. Yeah, and, and you spoke of the, the transformed meaning of, of health, which I think is, is central to all of this, because I, I would say that health, uh, life, safety, security, that, that all of these things have taken on a, a deep existential significance that they didn't really have, a kind of pseudo-religious symbolic meaning. And that this process was actually quite advanced even before COVID. And I think this... Uh, health-based conceptual foundation of, of biopolitics will be very important for the incipient uh, digitalization of society. And, and as you say, Hiroyuki, uh, the only way to actually counter something like this is to offer a, a robust and rooted alternative of some kind. It has to be about profound cultural renewal from this point. But uh, Corey, I, I wanted to ask you, you posted an, an article on, on these body area networks that kind of relates to all of this. And I was wondering if, if you would like to say something about this, if you can recall it. Which it was that, you know, it was some kind of, of a freakishly horrendous thing about implanted sensors in the body collecting data. Mm. Well, I was just sort of digging into, you know, again, like we keep going back to why what about these vaccines right like even now in Canada everyone's got two doses I mean not not everyone but a lot of people um if you can believe the numbers the vast majority have gotten the two doses they've got the booster Mm -hmm. and here we are in another lockdown right didn't stop anything didn't change anything didn't do anything everyone's you know still anyway blah 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 um again so what's the what's the what's the purpose of these it's more Mm, we all know it's more than about money even though that's a huge um you know part of it obviously 
um, you know, there's just been billions and billions of dollars made. It's a new vaccine, you know, um, bioengineering economy as um, foundational component of the fourth industrial revolution. But what else is it? You know, is there there's um, a lot of people dying. We know that's um, a huge problem, right? The pension crisis. So, you know, looking at all these different things all the time, trying to track what's happening with these vaccines. Yes, people are dying right sudden sudden death you can google that and you'll just get mm. tons and tons and tons of stories coming up from all over the world it's like a new illness in 2021 sudden death and then you look at the biotech aspect of it um what else could it be for and yes there's a lot coming out right now on the internet of bodies and using the the body as a wire as an antenna mm. right and you can go back even two years ago and watching um you know, just plain videos about nanotechnology. They're very, very open in it about um, tiny little um, nanorobots that can circulate in your body. I mean, they're not, they're put out by companies, you know, manufacturing this stuff and in the markets and that they're not put out by quote unquote conspiracy theorists. They're just talking right. about the science that's happening. And so anyway, I've got about... A dozen papers open on on that right now, Johan, and there's a mm -hmm. lot on it, but I haven't like organized the information, but I can definitely add links onto the podcast for people to start yeah, reading do, about that. It, it seems all like, you know, really, um, oh, just wait, I'll, you guys keep talking and I'm going to see if I can, <laughs> there's, a, there's a new thing that just um, was launched and I'm just going to see if I can find it. Okay. Yeah. Um I, I just want to go sort of circle back to the, um, the, the problem with travel, the, the travel restrictions, the, the intentionally, I think, confusing rules for international travel, crossing any border is increasingly difficult and, and fraught with uncertainty, uh, which has ratcheted up uh, the anxiety level in already very anxious people of an anxious populace. This seems significant to me. I think the most basic human right on one level is, is anonymous travel, that you can move about as you wish, because <laughs> without that, you are literally a feudal uh, uh, serf. You know, you are, you are, um, you are restricted, your whole life horizon changes uh, and and uh, I think not nearly enough has been talked about. I mean, because on the one hand you have this digitalization of everything and we know that and we know the problems and then mass surveillance, extraordinary level of surveillance that's being intensified and, and uh, the collecting of data and invasive uh, monitoring of what you're doing, what you're buying, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Much of it doesn't work. And I keep, I keep saying this. I mean, at the most fundamental level, the data that, that Google or Yahoo or Microsoft collects about you so that they can, they can place the correct ads um, on your news feed doesn't work. I mean, largely is, is surprisingly inaccurate, actually. Um, and, and yet, uh, 
you know, there is this this kind of cult belief in this stuff, the algorithmic future that people seem to have a strange belief in, and and that I don't fully understand. But but that aside, because I just had experiences this week with um, my ATM card being, I think, hacked because I I got a receipt in the mail from a restaurant in Pittsburgh for a like a, a <laughs> you know a hoagie I had bought or something gross and I obviously don't live in Pittsburgh and um and so I finally had to call Pittsburgh and ask what this was and they had no idea and I thought this is the future you know but but 10 times worse a thousand times worse because the the the, the system is going to drown beneath all this data it can't handle it nothing is at that level that that massive that expansive can be handled it's it's almost uh it's almost a law of nature i think of higher math and but but there is a blind belief in it Mm. but but before that i fear more the idea that um none of us can travel anymore that I may never get to go to Canada to see Corey or Long Island on New Year's to visit Hiroyuki, um, let alone drive across the border for a few hours to see Johan. Um, I don't know when this is going to be possible again. So these are these are issues. Yeah, Johan. Yeah, I'm still kind of in, in denial about all that, you know. But but you know, one one of the key problems for, for capitalism was was always. To, to how to to go about the continuous extraction of, of surplus value and surplus value is the, the the value that's created by the worker that's not necessary for the worker and the means of production to survive you know the the extra value added that can be extracted by by capitalism and i can't help but thinking that this this drive towards super intrusive surveillance and data mining that it's just simply the blind and desperate trajectory of capitalism to discover and extract these uh, untapped pockets of surplus value, whether or not this will actually succeed in reality or not. And I don't think it will, even even though it may, of course, do lots of damage in many ways. Right. No, I, I simply don't believe in in uh, in the technology that's that's being um, yeah. uh advertised and and promised um because you know uh facial recognition doesn't really work notwithstanding what you see on hollywood you know the police force is apparently entirely dependent on facial recognition if you watch tv cop shows uh it doesn't work none of this stuff works and all those you know uh earlier things blood splatter analysis and bite marks all was proven to be bunk and cases were overturned, people were released from prison, wrongly convicted because some quack crank said, I'm a scientist studying bite marks. Um, it was the new, you know, a, a new form of, of uh, sort of class warfare and, and racism. And um, <clears throat> so I think that I'm fundamentally, and this brings, leads us into the climate discourse, um, I'm just going to mention, because this is now the last bastion. Uh, I mean, if there's a pivot happening to the pandemic narrative, if, and I think there is to some degree, uh, and we're going to see 
uh, governments and the state throw you know sacrificial victims under the bus. They're going to backpedal, correct course, um, you know, trim sails to you know, and and find where they want to land on this whole thing, because mm -hmm. they probably mm -hmm. have done sold as many masks and kits yeah. as, as they can at this point. I don't, I think we we're reaching saturation and it's going to shift to, to climate discourse. And, and I saw a headline the other day, I think I shared it with you guys, uh, climate uh, change affecting unborn children <laughs> and creating heart problems. <laughs> I mean, you know, talk about a desperate, um, a marketing turn uh, couldn't be the vaccines, could it? Uh, no, it's it's climate, and and so this is the next frontier for um, for traumatizing the public and terrorizing the public is going to to a return to the the climate emergency. And right on cue, the most popular film on Netflix is is Don't Look Up which is just execrable, by the way. Um, unwatchable, insulting, condescending white person, um, liberal reformism. Um, but anyway, right on cue, this comes out, most popular film, and it introduces the topic anew, and we're going to see a whole um, tsunami of that stuff. Hiroyuki and I have talked about Alexander Co uh, Coburn's old articles that got him absolutely uh, exiled from the left community, such as it is. Uh, you should read them. Everybody That's should a good, read them. Good one. They're very interesting and certainly yeah. not uh, deserving of the abuse they received at all. Anyway, Corey. Okay, so from 2018, the paper Nano Networks Communication Architecture Modeling and Functions on the development of these novel materials, which can work at THZ frequencies, um, allow injecting nano devices inside the body. Um, then it goes on to say, likewise, nano devices and then in body network can circulate through the patient's blood and collect measurements where, whenever necessary, and communicate the results to outside medical personnel. Um, so it goes on about that. Um, what else? What else? What else? Um, anyway, it's basically about connecting um, every person's bot. Like we will be connected, right? Our bodies to the internet, right? Internet of bodies. Um, if you go to Purdue University, there's a new um, thing that's been launched, a new initiative, Center for Internet of Bodies. So that, that engineering at purdue.education, um, um, we, we can put the link in. And so that's where um, connectivity, security, and intelligent meets human body to transform lives, um, right? And of course, it's always framed as empowering the individual. Um, there's quite a few diagrams on here people can look at. And then um, over about climate, you've got purpose a month ago and purpose, um, the for-profit marketing um, arm of Avaz, which is a behavioral change PR firm, which works for the United Nations, well, actually works in partnership with the United Nations and some of the most powerful corporations on the planet. They're um, launching, they're right on the climate thing now. So they're launching a new brand live in the world, Climate Voices. 
um, is amplifying new voices in the climate discourse in India. And so they're very, very busy getting ready to go all out on um, the climate. Of course, that's about um, funneling trillions of dollars into market solutions for the corporations that they um, represent and work for. Um, and then they're also talking on there about COVID um, fatigue, right, um, with their work for the United Nations and just how they need new tactics to deal with that. Right. So this, this is going to continue. I mean, the whole, the whole thing, um, you know, that paper that they put out November 2020 with the UN right in that communications paper, how to communicate the whole COVID thing to the, to the um, global populace. They state in the paper on um, page 38 to 39, if people are seeing messages that suggest that the risks of COVID-19 are minimal, they're unlikely to engage. So you, I mean, good luck waiting for this to end, right? There yeah. are, there's trillions of dollars being invested in this infrastructure. There's billions of dollars to be made. Countries have ordered boosters into 2024, maybe 2025. Right, they're looking at forecasts into 2027. Um, so all all dependent on people injecting this experimental drug into their bodies. Right. If people are not afraid, they will not take it. Right. So you cannot let go of right. of that. This narrative has to be kept alive. Well, they're certainly going to. Yeah, they're going to drive it into the ground for as long as they can. I just want to add parenthetically, I and I don't want to interrupt you if you were still going to go. But no, I'm not. Um, um, uh, this idea of of uh, the body connected to the internet, we're going to implant electrodes that certain. I mean, this is this is the stuff that drives me crazy. I mean, yeah. you know, because really the level they're talking about the electric chair was a form of being connected to the, you know, electrical technology. Um, and, and this is not all that much more sophisticated, quite frankly. Hey, my tabs um, just crashed again today. Like technology is always pissing me off. Always, right. constantly. <laughs> My bank, you know, everything in Norway is done um, on net bank and all the net bank things are connected. And mine screws up all the time, all the time. Half the time I try to get on. Um, the internet was down here the other day. I thought, this is the future. You're not going to be able to handle this increased volume of stuff as they force people to stay at home more and more and more. Um, we're going to see... Uh, I predict uh, uh, an unprecedented explosion of mental illness uh, in in Western societies, certainly in the U.S. Um, as homelessness continues to increase, they'll probably introduce a UBA of some sort. But we're going to see. I think. I think part of this pivot is, even if it's just instinctual and unconscious, a recognition that people are psychologically at a tipping point, you know, at a breaking point. And, and we're going to start seeing, you know, the COVID lockdown version of going postal yeah. um, is, as I think, just around the corner. Johan. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I hear, hear what you're saying, Corey. And, and 
I agree, but I, I think an important question is also to what extent specifically the COVID narrative has served its, its various purposes and could be dispensed with by now. Because, you know, the money has been made, that the vaccines are established and the, these digital IDs are, I mean, almost rooted and, and they can be supported in a in hundred different ways. And, and you can always sell these vaccines against flu or anything. And, and I thought maybe maybe why not use the, the vaccine damages as a justification for this particular intrusive digital health surveillance? Because how will I know if I have this possibly lethal uh, subclinical myocarditis uh, unless I, I wear these health bracelets and are right. being analyzed by AI, you know? Yeah. I'm telling you, I think that keeping people from traveling is an extraordinarily effective uh, tool for for um, the ruling class in this, or the the people that are that are driving this um, this experiment, uh, because because it 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 operates on several different levels. I mean, it cripples the imagination, especially in young people. It prevents people from meeting and and sharing ideas from diverse backgrounds yeah. and and diverse communities. And um, uh, I'm I'm getting such weird signals here on my Zoom thing. Anyway, I think it's a it's it's already had a, a very damaging effect, you know. And and the the one of the boom businesses of the last two years has been the private. Um, jet business and uh uh as poverty increased uh exponentially uh the private jet business is one of the real growth industries uh in the united states and and north america in general because the private jets haven't stopped flying it is just you and i can't go on trips anyway okay um any final thoughts from everybody I would just agree with Johan that, um, you know, I think we have been, you know, as I've said since the beginning, every single day we're being engineered, we're being socially engineered to accept, you know, this new normal and everything that goes with it, you know, um, into this new virtual sort of existence detached from one another, right? Detached from community, detached from nature, detached even from ourselves. And I think that, um, yeah, I think like Johan says, even if it, it, you know, if it slows down the narrative, if they ease up, I think a lot of people have already internalized it and accepted, you know, that again, you know, the ruling class, the those that are, oppress us are the only ones that can save us, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Right. And we're just willing to go along and do, you know, do what we're what's expected of us, what we're told to do. That's what it feels like here. Well, on some level, the DiCaprio films don't look up is that's the message. You know, the meta message is the billionaires are aware of the problem. They're they're they're, you know, solutions are underway. Listen to them. Um, uh Netflix, two billionaire movie stars, a former speechwriter for Bernie Sanders. I mean, this is who's going to save us. You know, this mm -hmm. is who, I mean, the climate thing is is going to be is going to be the next um, the next tool torture implement 
um, directed against the public. And without dealing been, with any of the, without dealing with the actual problems, right? No, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Can, yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. whole point. We have, you know, obviously very, very real ecological devastation happening, you know, absolutely. especially driven by militarism. Right? Yeah, which I wasn't really, mentioned once in that right. film. Um, yeah, like even yesterday driving, or I drove to the country um, to get some some actual wood from a mill. Anyway, every small town I went through, everything's dead, right? Everything's dead except for drive-throughs, right? McDonald's, um, Starbucks, Tim Hortons, all the, you know, chains, people are coming out and Sorry, it's a bit rude, you know, but people are coming out like huge, like really obese people when that's like a huge, um, you know, that's the underlying like a huge problem, right? Another one that we're not dealing with, right? And so we talk about health and we don't address all these huge problems we have, um, you know, that are direct results of this capitalist system, you know, this Western culture. And so I just envision um, not very, not very far from now most of the small business will be gone. It will be closed up. It will be gone and we'll be left with all these um, franchises and corporations that poison us, that poison our children, that poison our environment, that poison our water, our, our soil, right? That make us unhealthy, that make us sick. And that's what we'll be left with. And we're going to wonder how the, how the hell we let this happen. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, this is why I think we're seeing, I think the, the propaganda apparatus consciously, you are seeing these kind of paid um, uh, trolls, content creators, whatever mm. you want to call them, uh, with, with very specific uh, anti-Marxist rhetoric, anti-socialist rhetoric, anti the conflation of fascism and communism, we've talked about that, but it is still, I see it everywhere, over and over and over again. Uh, and and there are, you know, the Academy of Ideas for, is a perfect example, a very insidious organization that puts out extraordinarily reactionary videos that seem to be telling the truth, but then suddenly you realize that they're, you know, deeply reactionary, anti-communist kind of, you know, vaguely Lyndon LaRouche or something. Um, the, these are very dangerous people. And, and it's part of how the left gets discredited um, because people are not educated and they haven't really read very much. They're subliterate for all intents and purposes. So they are prey to these cartoon versions of history and politics. And um, I, I, you know, this is, I guess one of the roles that uh, that we take on, and I say that with some humility, believe me, because I don't know, you know, but but it's to try to point out the difference between the counterfeit and the legitimate in in, in these critiques. Okay, final oh. thoughts, Johan. Yeah, I have a <clears throat> very pertinent quote that kind of ties in to what we've been talking about tonight. Uh, it's uh, from an essay on fascist propaganda by Adorno again. And it, <clears throat> on what you just said, he says that the category of phoniness applies to the leaders as well as to the act of identification on the part of the masses and their supposed frenzy and hysteria. 
just as little as people believe in the depth of their hearts that the Jews are the devil, do they completely believe in their leader. They do not really identify themselves with him, but act this identification, perform their own enthusiasm, and thus participate in their leader's performance. It is probably the suspicion of this fictitiousness of their own group psychology, which makes fascist crowds so merciless <clears throat> and unapproachable. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, Adorno is so good. Hmm. Uh, and of course, you know, it's very interesting. Robert Hulot, um, uh, what's his name? Hulot, fuck me, see senility creeping in. Um, his translator, had an introduction to his book of essays on Adorno, um, uh, where he talked about the wave of criticism directed at Adorno's work. And it's because he is so particularly pertinent. Mm. And, um, the, you know, the, this is, again, never an accident. Freud, Marx, Adorno, these people are going to be attacked because they are very useful educational tools for understanding what is going on. Mm. Um, Anyway, okay. Thanks, everybody. I think unless anybody wants a final thought. Well, I just want to uh, uh, say that the uh, um, um, uh, it's important to see uh, the fact that the uh, uh, the mo those momentums, like Corey was saying about the uh, destruction of small businesses and. Uh, um, and also demonization of uh, socialism. Um, all these things are basically the hardening behavior of the system, um, uh, putting people against each other. So um, when, when this momentum is uh, at work, um, the ruling class has nothing to lose. They right. just use um, part of the population and the other part of the population, and then we lose our institutions. The institutions are going to be compromised. Institutions are um, more and more becoming a tool to uh, indoctrinate and uh, propagandize people. So it's a really, really uh, uh, sinister um, um, Phenomenons we are uh, watching, and the uh, and I think it relates to the uh, limited hangout as well. Uh, the facts are coming out strictly within the uh, reactionally uh, capitalist framework. So, you know, it it, it only uh, targets the existing uh, institutions and. Um, uh, um, I mean, the ruling class can destroy institutions just like they can destroy countries and the communities and right. they got nothing to lose. And uh, so this is a, it's really important to kind of step back and look at the whole thing. And uh, um, um, when we act in building uh, our communities and try to uh, um, uh, cultivate uh, uh, <coughs> constructive uh, relations. I'm going to end this with that. I'm going to read that George Jackson quote Great. Um, from, from um, his prison letters. Now, you know, remember Jackson wrote this 50 years ago, 55 years ago. Um, 
and it's extraordinarily relevant because you see a lot of stuff on social media from self-identified leftists and of various stripes, trots, tankies, whatever. Um, and they spend an awful lot of time discrediting each other. And I, we're all guilty of that to some degree, but there are, there are factions that, and it's a, you know, it's, this is, this is one of those things you have to be selective. You have to, identify the correct enemy. Anyway, here's the quote, and then we'll sign off. Okay. Settle your quarrels, come together, understand the reality of our situation, understand that fascism is already here, that people are already dying who could be saved, that generations more will live poor, butchered, half lives if you yeah. fail to act do what must be done discover your humanity and your love in revolution yeah all right kids uh thanks to jack Lippman as always and um we'll see you next time thank you Corey, hero you and johan thank, thank you. you thank, thank you. you good night